0: Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to the first 24 Stories podcast. Really excited about this one. It's a brand that I've tasted quite a lot over the years and uh, it's a brand that I've admired And the person behind that brand uh, is a Corkman and he's sitting right in front of me. It's Shane Long. Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast, Shane.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Uh, I'm privileged to be here and and kind of amazed really that you chose me to be number one.
0: Yeah, I suppose maybe it's my fondness for craft beer, but I think it's it's the fact that I grew up on, on the north side of the city. And I remember this bar being opened around 98, if I'm right in saying, around the same time as... The Tour de France was coming to Cork just after the World Cup. Would it be around that time? Yeah, yeah,
1: it was 1998 when I came back to Ireland, yeah.
0: Tell me the backstory. Had you worked in in brewing before? No, not
1: at all. Um, I was uh, running a large Irish venue in, in London. Uh, I was actually looking to lease my own premises over there. And I got a phone call out of the blue. Uh, now, that sounds more impressive than it actually was. Um, th- th- there was nobody wanted to get into hospitality in 1998. It was very much the height of the Celtic Tiger and Irish people were working in the likes of Apple, etc. And yeah. and the, they were out three or four nights a week. So this guy was looking for somebody to run the, the venue. Um, it was in the planning stage of that. So that would have been the early part of 97, I suppose. And I, I remember ringing my dad, I'm an only child, and said, I'm, I'm coming home. You know, I'm going to take this this offer because I said I'd only come back if I was an owner of a business. Yeah. The guy said yes straight away. And, and my dad said, Jeez, don't come back there. <laughs> at the time, it was a tenement street and it was uh, lots of drugs and, and stuff. And I'd have, I'd have zero tolerance on that. But yeah. I came back and I had no bother. It was, it was grand.
0: And was it straight in? Did you call it Franciscan Well straight away, or the, or was that a gradual process? It,
1: it was a gradual on the on the that came about in the planning side of things. So the, there was a beautiful old pub there, um, which I was very keen on, on keeping because mm. it had a lot of character. But uh, the engineer came in, who I'm still using to this day actually, and and he said if you push the wall too too hard here, it's going to come down. So it had to come down, um, and we built the what is now the the, the Franwell, but. Um, the archaeological society came along and they said, you know, you you have to be very careful in what you're doing here because it's old historic cork. And and they gave us a document, and in that document showed that the the friary was there since 1219, and that was where the Franciscans were. And at the back of the the beer what is now the beer garden, no, the well is still there, and they used that as as supposed miraculous curing properties for the eyes, and people came from far and wide. So it was a very simple process, right, Franciscan well, yeah. That's uh, that's how it came about. It wasn't it wasn't a major think tank or um, a long drawn out process. It just came about that quick.
0: And in the early days, I presume you didn't have your own beer, or did you?
1: No, at the start, so the, the bar came first. So we contracted with a fantastic brewery up in Dublin. Unfortunately, it's not it's not there anymore. There was there was eleven of us in the nineties. Only three survived. Um, just to put it into context, this, the brewery was called um, I think it was Dublin City. Uh, brewing company. Mm. We started off with, with what's called a 10 hectolitre tank. Theirs back then was 80, uh, which in fact is actually bigger than the tanks uh, that we have down in the in the new brewery in the docks. So they were really ahead of their time. Um, they were doing a lot of export, but unfortunately they didn't uh, they didn't survive. So we were getting it from them until the brewery was finished. But it was, I suppose, about six to eight months and, and then we were up and running with our own stuff, yeah.
0: I'm going back to 1998, I'd imagine like Ireland wasn't used to something other than the traditional, I suppose, Guinness, Murphy's, Budweiser, Carlsberg, those type of drinks. What was the initial reaction to introducing something new? It was really tough. Uh, the
1: first week, the, the full week's trading was £327 for the full week. And it took an awful long time to get the mindset through that it wasn't home brew, it wasn't pots and pans out the yeah. back. We had an amazing brewer who came over from the states with a with a fantastic track record. He retired with us, I think, in uh, two thousand and ten or eleven. He said he just he wanted to get out of the trade. Luckily for the, for craft beer in Ireland, he's gone back in and he's now the uh, he looks after all the the beverage for um, the Market Lane Group oh. yeah, for Conrad Howard, Yeah, he's gone back in, which is great. But um, so he looked after our, our brewing side of things up until two thousand and ten. Yeah,
0: and in those early days, like what did people say to you? Did they say like, "Are you mad? Like we just want a normal pointer Or like what was the reaction to people coming into the bar? Yeah,
1: and you know that that kept going really up until around around 2010. You'd still get people coming in saying, "Can I have a pint of of, of a known brand?" Yeah, we don't get that now, which is yeah. which is great. Uh, so definitely things have changed. The mindset has changed, um, but it was difficult, and it was at the at the very start we did have some mainstream products but what we were finding was people were going for the safe bet when they came in if they weren't if they were unsure they'd go back to the uh, tried and trusted brands so we said right well we'll take the bold move and take all of that out and uh, I was really lucky the guy who was behind it all um he was very patient mm. and he believed in the vision that we had that we were saying right we will stick to our guns and we'll, we'll we'll keep pushing this we believe in our product um, and he did he gave us a lot of rope it became a success because of the people around us
0: and was Rebel Red the first one
1: Rebel Red and uh, Blarney Blonde were the first two beers that came on the Shannon was soon after that and then we did a Lager which was on the bar for a long time. And uh, as things picked up, people we were drinking world beer and we were, we were going through a lot of um, German Weiss beer during the summer especially. So we tried that as a, a special and that became a year-round product. But we've done over 100 beers over the years.
0: When you started producing your own beer... How did you get the customers in? Like, was there a a niche market out there? Was there a market there that wanted that type of stuff that had travelled or?
1: Well, initially our plan was that at the time 10,000 students coming into Cork. Students are more open. So we did, we targeted the students at the beginning. But what we found was there was lots of people like me who had come back because the Celtic Tiger was there. And... Living in England, you go into one bar and you have one set of brands, you go into the next bar, and you have a different set of brands. So people were used to, used to that. So we fully believed in our product, uh, what we were producing. So just by getting behind that and then going for more of the people like myself who would come back from living in America or wherever, um, and it built... Slowly, very, very slowly it built.
0: And what kind of advertising did you do at the beginning? Did you put up posters? Or did you we've knock done, on doors or what, what and did we, you do? We,
1: we don't stop advertising. Even yeah. to this day, we have a dedicated marketing manager in there. Um, we've done oh, numerous different types of things. Billboard posters, beer festivals... Yeah. Even genealogy guy uh, was coming in at one stage just to try and target different demographics and yep. maybe tourists and on one part students and another um, regular court people and on, on different t- different frames of advertising that we were going into.
0: You're famous for your, your Easter festivals and stuff like that. When did that kind of kick off?
1: We were doing festivals, would you believe it, for 21 years now. Oh. Yeah, we were the first uh, first to do them. I was supposed to go to Munich to see it. And I'm actually glad I didn't know because we had nothing to compare it with. Mm. And way back then, there was there was no such thing as finding out on the Internet. Yeah, you know? yeah. So There was a great guy in, in Cork. Yeah, he's still here. He's, he's working for a, another brewery now. But he had a couple of quirky bars and he set up a, an import company. So this is when nobody was getting in um, European beers or, or speciality beers. We engaged him and got pallets of beer sent over of, of stuff you could had never been in Ireland before and it was a huge success. The average beer festival day in the in, in the Franwell would, would have 3,000 people oh. or more come through the door. Um, most people only just come in for a half of this or a half of that, which made it a, a very mellow type of festival, yeah. which was great. People that were, were looking for something different, that's how we started back then on the, on the beer festivals, just taking a chance, saying, you know, if they can do it in Germany, we can do it here too.
0: Am I guessing around the mid 2000s you started then selling the beer in other bars? or was it earlier? It was it?
1: earlier than that um, my business partner was involved in a few bars in Cork and Dublin so we were we were selling in those straight away it was, it was a real like I'm I still to this day wouldn't class myself as a salesperson mm. I, I think it's an incredibly difficult job my way of doing it really was I was I'd been away from Cork I left Cork when I was 17 so I didn't know anybody really in the trade when I came back so I was working in the bar and then on my break I'd, I'd pick a different bar and I'd get to know the owner and I never tried to sell it because I don't like people who are pushy and eventually after getting to know people and telling them what I was doing. They started to ask, if you're selling it around town, put it in here. And cork people are incredibly loyal to their own. And we, we built it slowly, very, very slowly over that. And one of the major factors for us was, absolute game changer, was when Beamish was bought by Heineken. Um, and Heineken delisted Beamish Red. And the touristy bars around town that had Beamish Red came straight to us. in, in Literally within one day, our capacity increased by 25%. Um, And we're still in all of those bars, which is great, Um, because obviously Heineken is an amazing company, but very, very big for them to do a small quantity was was going to be really difficult. So they just discontinued it. But for somebody like me, it was life changing.
0: But that whole idea of this red ale seems to be very popular in the US because I've been in bars in New York and San Francisco and and Philadelphia. And I've seen Murphy's Red and I've seen Mm -hmm. the Beamish Red back in the day as well. Is is it associated with Ireland?
1: Like? Definitely. Um, like I, I spend most of my time in, in the UK you now at work um, and red isn't a category over there. You have an ale category, you have a larga category and a stout category, whereas in Ireland you have a red category. Mm. Um, and that that's always been here traditionally with the likes of Bass and Smithicks back mm. in the day. Um, Smithicks is still a very big brand. Bass not so much, especially around the east coast of, of, of Ireland. But it, it definitely was a... Um, and still is a, a
0: category all on its own So the palate I suppose of the tourists they were kind of used to it and they expected it maybe rather than the taste of stout when they came to the likes of Cork or Dublin or whatever so there was nearly a gap there for you to Definitely Definitely yeah. Yeah. To jump yeah. in
1: yeah. yeah, You didn't have to acquire a taste for a, a raid whereas people say you have to acquire a taste for a stout
0: Yeah I know from being around the bars for a good while that I saw you know Rebel Raid How come you never launched the Shannon Stout was there just too much competition? <laughs>
1: We tried. Um, in fact, that's the reason that uh, Coors bought my business. Uh, the head guy, one of the head guys, he was head of Europe. He's, he's over in Denver now on the board of directors. He visited twice and he was the guy who signed the cheque at the end of the day. And he said, this, is, this, this stout is going to be huge. Um, I didn't really buy into it because being a bar owner, you, you just you, you know that those bigger brands, it's really, really difficult to go up against. Um, I think no. If if the brewery was bought, now it would be very, very different. Because there's lots of stouts in the UK, but there wasn't back then. There was only one. It was it was interesting that you say that. But we did try it. Uh, the likes of Benny McCabe, before he opened his brewery, yeah. he took it in um, to to the chandelier because he he drank it himself. But it just didn't work back then. It was just people were were used to what they were, and it was a, a much harder category to go into than the ale category.
0: So you just brought up about the fact that moles and cores came into the, uh, I suppose, the equation and came in to acquire uh, Franciscan Will. When did that whole process start? Was it? In... That was in
1: 2012. So I was I was looking to expand the business 2011. Um, we were at maximum capacity. You know, that, again, it sounds more impressive than it was. The original brewery is very small, but we were turning down business and I hate turning down business. We were contracting. There was a guy in, in Tipperary doing some contract work for us, but it still wasn't enough. So... I went back to uh, I went back to my my partner and said, "Listen, I, I'm really ambitious about this. I think that that we can succeed in in a much bigger brewery." So we were going down the whole process between board Bia and the local enterprise office, and um, we had a list of distributors in the US that wanted to take in the beer. They had approached us, so it narrowed that down to um, to one. I was over there and 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 thought, you know, this is this is going to work for us. In fact, when I left the building, the the, the first order the, they were putting in was four times my annual production mm. in the North Mall for one month. As in the yearly production in the North Mall. Four Mal times that
0: in one month, and that was all going to the states.
1: It, we never got there. So this was I was so I was there trying to build up the business. Yeah. So, so meeting major distributors to see right. Okay, this is because they know exactly what they can sell and what they can't sell. And if if we put this in here, we're going to sell X amount. Um, so it's very easy to build your your model then on that on right? this is how big we need to make the brewery. Um, smaller distributors, you can't get that because they're they, they wouldn't have the proven track records, but the bigger ones they if they say they're going to do something more, more often than not they do deliver. I came back and I started looking into the costings of of doing this, and uh, three companies came to us to to look to acquire, which obviously surprised me. Um, I was a lot more arrogant back then than I am now. So I got a bit cocky and uh, the three of those didn't suit me. So I was getting out and then Morton Coors came along and uh, they said that they'd be interested. And the money was about five times less of the biggest um, offer that we had on the table. But to me, I'd spoken to David Coors. They were very open. His fifth generation, Uh, very level headed, nice guy. Spoke to Keith Villa, who was the the brewmaster for Blue Moon, which is at the time the Brilliant biggest brand, craft yeah. beer in, in the world. Um, and I spoke to another guy who was who was the head brewer in um, in Sharp's, a, a brewery that they would acquired a couple of years before me. And I just thought that this will live on after me. So there was a bit of an ego thing in that as well, yeah. um, that I wanted my kids to be proud of. You know, I don't have much of an education, so if you can if you can work hard, sometimes things work out. Um, so it certainly wasn't about the money. And also I knew I keep that they'd keep on the guys that have that basically had given me 10 years of their lives, which is very hard to keep retain people in the hospitality industry. But by and large, we've been very lucky that way. So I just, I kind of wrote my own contract expecting them to rip it up. Yeah. Well, these are the things that I will sell for. I'm not going to budge on this. And they signed them and sent it back to me. And um, we sold the business 21st of December 2012. And on the first week of January, I was on a flight to Boston, Denver and uh, Toronto in the first week of of working with them. So uh, it's been a whirlwind. It's
0: been absolutely fantastic. I don't regret it at all. And were you afraid at the time because I suppose relinquishing a brand that you had built up at that point, it was over a decade that you had put all this time and effort in and it was going really well. Were you afraid that you were going to be pushed to the side at any point?
1: Well, everything comes to an end. Yeah, you know, so I didn't go in there with I didn't go in there with my eyes closed. But it was I had come to the realization of I couldn't bring it any further. Yeah, I lacked technical ability in the on the brewing side of it. Certainly, marketing and advertising wasn't a strength that I had, um, and I just viewed that they could take it to the the global level. Well, it's not global, but it, we're we're, get, we're getting there. I don't regret it at all. And yes, it is difficult when you're working for yourself. And by and large, I was left alone by my business partners just to get on with stuff. So, yes, that was very hard to get into your head. But once you do, and we we did hit stumbling blocks along the way, then I just have to take a step back and say, well, this is what I chose. This is the the road I chose. I have to accept certain things um, for the brand to grow.
0: And is 100% of it still made in Cork?
1: Yeah, yeah, so we very talk, no, matter, no, no matter what you heard or yeah. no matter what people said, we had an open day um, on Friday. It was the first time we let people into the into the brewery. Um, obviously, with a global corporation, health and safety is, yeah. is, is massive and you have to go through a lot of hoops. But the, the head brewer down there, Christopher Cook, is an amazing individual and, and very, very patient. He managed to get through all those hoops and we had 165 people come through the door. Uh, for Culture Night and luckily I was able to engage because the groups are so small because of health and safety you did have to turn people away but there was only seven at a time so I was able to engage with each and every person on, on an individual basis and uh, that question was asked a lot and I said well as soon as you go in here you can see how big it is and take your pictures and yeah. send it out there and say, you know, this is this is all done on, on on the banks of the Lee, which I'm
0: really proud of. When you went to the states, so you went to Boston and Denver, did they kind of put you through a kind of um, a mentorship program where people had kind of built their <laughs> beer brands under their remit kind of bigger over time, or, or how? Did no,
1: they I, uh, over the years I've spoken to all of those people that I got involved mm-hmm. in because they're all still in the business, which is great. Uh, but no, it wasn't about that. It was about we were looking to see, you know, for the, we were in Canada looking at equipment, but in Boston, um, it was all about um, how we're going to plan the next five years, where the where the brand is going to go. And at the time, the states was it was a uh, big focus. Um, that didn't happen uh, because the UK market just exploded for us. So.
0: so, when did you launch in the UK? Was it when they came along?
1: This is the thing people think that we were we were much bigger than we were. Yeah, we were the biggest on trade. Uh, draft producers in Ireland in the craft scene, okay. but we only had 60 accounts. That's how small the business was in general back in 2010. Now it's exploded. Um, I think the last count, chieftain, was in 1,500 outlets around the country. And bear in mind, there's only 7,000 pubs in the oh, in yeah. the country. So it's what they've done is amazing. It's not done to me. It's done to them. It took about two years to get that up and running uh, properly, efficiently. Mm. So they were catering for the Irish market first. And the business plan was 95-5. So it was going to be 95% uh, for export and 5% was domestic. Oh. That was the plan because the market was so small here. But it just ramped up. We didn't expect it to be as big as it was. The team of salespeople within Watson and is fantastic. Um, and they drove it and drove it and drove it. And at the time, we didn't have Chieftain, which is you now the, the main seller. We um, went into the UK then initially with Stout and Red. And um, that was very slow because, as I said, red wasn't a category in, in in the UK. And stout, there was one major stout over there at the time. But when we brought in Chieftain, then it was a complete game changer.
0: Was timing a big thing in that with the yeah. growth of craft and, in a particular, IPAs? I suppose was was kind of really getting popular.
1: Absolutely. That we were just it, there's been milestones within the the time frame of having the Franwell, and we've been really really lucky. Um, in those time frames, that uh, everything has worked in our favour. The the last recession that we had, we didn't suffer at all in the Franwell yeah. because people were saying, Oh, yeah, we know Pete's brewing the beer and Pete's employed there. It was very much went back to local, which is what we're seeing yeah. now again.
0: Was there a kind of, um yeah, a, a traditional value there in terms of it reminded me a, a bit like farmers markets? People started really going to farmers markets after the last recession, just tried to put the money back into the local economy. Did you kind of see that as well as you're the small guys? even when you were bought by Molson Coors, so people said, let's support them because they're one of our own. Was there kind of that?
1: They're definitely, as go, again, going back to how loyal Cork people are, it's yeah. just just incredible. There was some negativity, and I said, oh, you're after selling out, and, and then I got on some of these platforms mm. um, and saying, well, these are the reasons I sold. Mm. You know, I, I had two people implied. You now there's 14 down the docks, and there's, there's my main guy who's been with me 22 years is still working in the North Mall. So I couldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that myself. It was just, it's not within my skill set to do that. Probably could do it now, but
0: back then yeah. I couldn't do it. How did the Chieftain IPA come about? One of the things that really caught my attention with that was the glass. Some of the other brands, they have recognised glasses yeah. and you kind of introduced a whole new glass that kind of felt it was like a premium brand.
1: 100% and that's that's what most of course are looking for. I know I had no input on the on the glass side of it. The chief, the name is, is, is mine um, and the recipe, that is mine. And, yeah. and it was a really simple process. I got in beer geeks, got in people who didn't drink beer at all, got chefs in, got bar owners in. And what we are looking for, I'm not a technical person so it was a flip chart. And I had English IPAs who, and they, they were the people who started it and American West Coast IPAs, which are very, very different. So I was saying, right, just examples, throwing it out there. What are you looking for? So a chef needed something that left the palate immediately but complemented the food. A bar owner, like the likes of Benny, was saying, I need something that you're not going to get indigestion from or heartburn or fills you up. So mm-hmm. some of the West Coast IPAs, if you're not used to drinking an IPA, they do that. They do that. Um, so we just took process of elimination, took the sessionability and bitterness level of an English traditional IPA, the sweetness the ABV um, and aroma that you'd expect from a West Coast IPA. Put them together, did the recipe up in like ten minutes. Brought it down to Pete. I said, "Brew that," and he's looking gone because he's technical. This doesn't make sense. I said, "Trust me, just brew that. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a winner." Didn't realise how much of a winner.
0: And when did you see it started to take off? Like when, Immediately. Straight away?
1: Immediately. Yeah. I mean, we, we couldn't keep up with demand at the at the beginning. And you now with, with Chris Stone and the, and the new brewery, they're able to keep up with it because he's, he's amazing at, at what he does. But um was completely transformational for the business.
0: And would I be right in saying it's probably the number one selling IP in the country? It is, yes. By a, by a, by a country mile, by, yeah. 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 And in terms of Molson's brands in Ireland, would it be near the top? Uh, I honestly couldn't
1: tell you yeah. because I don't know what the the yeah. other, I only the only thing that I look at is the Fanwell on on the Molson
0: because it I seems understand. like it's everywhere and yeah. and they've done a phenomenal job in the branding. That's what he said. The glass and and I love the way that your signature is on the glass.
1: Yeah, and people were asking me, "Is that your signature?" I said, "It is. Yeah, it is my signature," and I'm very proud of that and the fact that they put it on the cans as well. It's uh, you know telling my kids like and yeah. in the yeah the local shop will have it. I say oh, that's Daddy's beer. It's uh,
0: and how do they find that then? What like
1: they're very young, like so they don't well yeah list is he's 15 so yeah. he gets it but um, the youngsters they just said have you got any empty boxes you know, I don't know what they're doing with the empty boxes but they want the empty boxes
0: <laughs> yeah and of course even on the back of the cans in, 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 in the off trade and stuff like that it's your, your signature is yeah, there yeah. as well
1: and like it's it was three of us there unfortunately the other two are gone so they didn't get to see well they can see it like but they didn't get to live yeah. how this went on and it would have been great if they were but
0: did they leave when, when Molson took over
1: the brewer who's who's done with the, with Conrad, no, he left. I th- I think it was 2010. Yeah, it might have been 2011, but it is, he certainly wasn't there around the time of any okay, yeah. of the, the sellout. And my the main guy behind me, um, literally that day on the 21st of December, he went off.
0: Um, that was the end of him. Yeah, yeah he was he was
1: at retirement. anyway. a great man. I, I wouldn't be here without him. But Fantastic. he's uh, one of these people in the background that never likes his name being yeah. put out there. Yeah
0: that goal that you had of of building this legacy and as you said and, and I don't think it's an ego thing I think it's a lovely thing actually mm. because you're trying to create a new I suppose new generation of, of maybe brewers I don't know whether your own kids will get into it in the long mm. term but it's something that they'll be very fond of probably in years to come more so than now like yeah. I imagine
1: oh, I think so yeah I think yeah
0: Yeah, I certainly get a kick out of it yeah. <laughs> like I suppose I remember when um, I think it was it was either 150 or 200 years of, of Murphys, I think they had big posters of of, of uh, Jeremiah Murphy everywhere in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So potentially yeah. that will be you and I. <laughs> I'll be
1: well gone. You'll be well search, gone. Yeah, but yeah, yeah.
0: sometimes we're, we're remembered after we leave. Yeah. And uh, I saw you then recently on your Instagram or something, and you're sitting there in London and you're drinking a pint. Like how oh, does that feel? like of your own stuff
1: amazing and it it just never gets old you go in the hairs in the back of your neck will be standing up because you're just so proud of of what's happened again something I could never have done myself uh, and going into iconic bars really iconic bars and and they want to take your beer in it's just it's a very very humbling experience extremely humbling
0: Have you had anybody that you spotted drinking it like somebody infamous or someone influential around the world that you said whoa I never thought I'd see the day or someone like that would be drinking my pint.
1: Yeah, I suppose a few over the years. Um, not that I would want to be dropping any names or yeah. anything. But, uh, yeah, some, some. There's some, a, few, yeah, there kind of, a few and yeah, yeah. it
0: makes you kind of go, yes, I'm into... Yeah, yeah. I've I remember r-
1: ringing my wife and saying, I'm, I'm having a pint with this particular... I didn't know who he was, right? Yeah. And uh, he was drinking, chieftain before I got there. And uh, people were taking pictures and or trying to take pictures. And I like, could see he was getting a bit annoyed and... I said, "Do you mind if I buy you a pint?" And he looked at me as if I had two heads. And yeah. I said, "You know, I said, you know, I just—it's—I'm I'm the guy behind the the beer." And the barman said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah—that's him. That's the guy behind the beer." And uh, I described him anyway to my wife, and she said, "That job is wasted on you, because it's just, uh, yeah, it's—it's uh, it's incredible." And was that in the UK or was yeah, it, all? it? Yeah, it was in the
0: UK. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah very, very high-profile uh, movies there. Whoa! Uh,
0: so. And you won't give us a name.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't want to be good. like he, he was. I probably shouldn't have invaded his privacy. Yes. We ended up having yeah. a couple of points together, it was great crack, yeah. Um, but I could just see the man was just being pestered,
0: you know, just
1: but it's I, nice. I, I was pestering him as well. <laughs> was, he I was he Irish? No, he's
0: not. I no, no. oh, saw so it's no, a, no, an no. international superstar, yeah. but look, yeah. your secret is safe with him, I suppose. <laughs> But that, like that whole experience, like of walking into a bar. And have you ever been surprised that it's been in a bar that you didn't expect it to be in? Yes,
1: there? yeah, yeah. I mean, I just like I, I spend most of my time in London now, and I try to do, I try to walk most of it and walk and pass places and say, they never told me it was in there, yeah. yeah. And uh, then of course I'm obliged to go in and buy a drink and buy the barman a drink and bartender a drink.
0: And how are they promoting it in the UK? Is it just from back to bar or are they doing a big campaign or? there's
1: no there's no campaign um, they did get behind it about three four years ago and there was a big push on it then and uh, now it's just growing organically so we got into one of the big chains um, which would be Mitchell and Butler we got into a couple of their portfolios within the unit that they own uh, we got into some of those and that, that was huge volume on high streets and the likes of Birmingham Manchester and, and, and Glasgow and Edinburgh so um. The, the there's specifically there's there's a dedicated sales team that looks after premium brands in the in in the London area, and they just keep adding accounts uh, organically more than anything else. So is London
0: the biggest area if you're right now?
1: Yes, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. That's that's why I spend most of my time there.
0: Yeah. What about the rest of Europe? Or is there an appetite yeah, there?
1: There is. Um, we are we've just gone into Italy. Uh, mainly mainly around the Rome area. I haven't been there yet with the whole travel yeah. restrictions things that have been going on. I'm looking forward to going there, and there's,
0: a, there's another major European country coming online fairly shortly as well. Speaking about other brands and stuff, how did the brand partnership with Jameson come about? The two brands are obviously both made in Cork, yeah. obviously, originally Dublin. They're, uh, they're,
1: they're amazing people. They really, really are. Um, it, 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 that, it came about by accident, really. So I was looking at, uh, when I was dealing with the, the, the distributors in the US, they needed something that they could make money from. And the normal was just too small. I was trying to base it on kind of finger in the air stuff of when mm. I had a bigger brewery and what the price point would be. Um, and I had a really patient uh, distributor. They were based in in, um, in Brooklyn and back and forth over a six month period and on, on, on how we could achieve the economy scale. So one day a guy got onto to me and he said, listen, uh, try barrel aging, right? He said, it's getting a premium over here and it might work out on both sides. We'll do small bespoke stuff. We'll just pick maybe one group to go with. Um, I've, I don't have any brewing papers. I learned how to brew on the job as such. So I said, uh, I'm going to have to reach out here and try and get some assistance. And the great thing about the, the brewing community, it is a community and people do help. It doesn't matter if you're big or small people and even to the, to this day they still help each other out. So I contacted a, a brewery which is now owned by InBev. They're based out of uh, Chicago and they were called uh, Goose Island and they were the, probably the most well known for doing yeah. barrel aging. And the guy got back to me straight away and he said, uh, yeah, come out and see me. So I hopped on a plane I'm my out and uh he said, um, took me to this warehouse, which had 200,000 whiskey barrels in it, full of beer. And he said, uh, how many are you looking to use? I said, six. <laughs> <laughs> because that was, the, that was the brew cycle of what we had in the North, man. Well, yeah. So he obviously thought I was a mad Irishman. We've since become really good friends. Now he's in Firestone Walker, the barrel aging expert down there, which is one of my favourite breweries in the world. And we've been back and forth ever since. But I came back and uh, the Jameson guys used to drink in the bar. Because they used to have a bottling line um, in, down at the end of the of the North Mall at one stage, and this amazing guy, uh, he's, he's, he's now got a super high power job for with Pernod. He's based in Paris. Um, I had a conversation with him. He came up to the bar and uh, he took a chance on us. Now Peter is, is is somebody to this day is very very generous with his time. Yeah. Any I have a mad business decision, I'll run it by Peter first, as I value his his uh, his input. On the uh, on the whiskey side of things, I just got on and I said, well, "You know, could you give us a few barrels?" And he was like, "Right, okay, I'll take a chance." with you. I didn't realize what big a chance he was taking back then, but it really was because if it had gone wrong, it could PR wise could have yeah. gone wrong for them and such a such a big iconic Irish company. So we produced the beer before we sold it. Went down with Peter just to make sure that he was okay with the quality, yeah. um, which he was. He said, "No, this is fantastic." And he said, "It's so good you can put Jameson on the label," and that was an absolute game changer. For uh, for my business for our business, we've been we were working together for for years. After that, so that happened in 2011 was when we first started talking with Peter, and um, we ended up rolling it out. Caskmates, no, not not the beer, but Caskmates. In uh, I went to Toronto with them, went to Johannesburg, Paris, London. There was just so many places. I get a phone call. Can you can you go here? And I'll go. Uh, but the, the the how the Caskmates came about was I asked Dave, would he take back the casks? Because we were limited in, in, yeah. in, in size over in the North Mall. And uh, Dave at first was like, I don't, I don't want to take the casks back. What am I going to do with them? Uh, but he did. And um, just at that very moment, they don't have a bottling line down there. As the casks arrived, that tanker was being filled with Jameson to go to Dublin. Dave was there and said, fill those casks and then forgot about it. And the, the warehouse guys rang about six months later. Rang Dave, and Dave rings me. He says he rang me. And he said come down and taste taste this. So I went down, and right, I could, I could pick up the beer notes from it. And uh, I said this is amazing. What is it? He said it's your beer, right? It's the we, we put. And he got really excited about telling me yeah. the story. And he says we gotta we gotta do something with this. <laughs> so what, what do you mean we gotta do something? I don't know what. So he said let's go and talk to uh, let's go and talk to marketing. Uh, which we did their marketing and told them the whole story. And that's why it was called Cask Mates because myself and Dave were mates and they just simply called well, so it. So that's not where that.
0: it came. It wasn't that there was a partnership no, between two brands. No, no,
1: no, no. It just, it, it and that was the joy of it because when we were going around telling the story worldwide, we were genuinely telling a story of what happened. It wasn't that like you see so many times in, in corporate structures that marketing teams get together and they say, right, we're going to create this content or we're going to create yeah. this story. This was the opposite. It was like, this is the story. No marketeers, you go and market it, which was, which was wonderful uh, to work with because, I, again, I was blown away. We're in, we're in Johannesburg and I walked in with Dave into this purpose built venue that had a bar and a barber shop and it was all real hipster. And I said, you know, where are we doing the interviews? And he said, on the stage there in front Whoa. of 450 people. I, I just, I nearly collapsed. I was like, Dave, I can't do this. And he said, oh, I'll we'll get a few whiskeys into you, you'll be all right. And we'd spent the whole day, the, f- the previous day, doing interviews, but it was like this one on one and radio yeah. stations and, and magazines and stuff.
0: And they were all people from the trade, I'd imagine, were they the it was,
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, the, the, it was amazing. They had a huge cross section. I mean, they had TV stars and the, the who's who of South Africa was at that event that night,
0: and me and Dave. And did Jameson distribute the product then rather than ye? Which uh, oh, was how-
1: only the, the whiskey, the, the beer side of things just couldn't catch up with it because yeah. it was, uh, I mean, Jameson, they were set up, they were ready to rock with yeah. this. We weren't. So they became global on the, on the cast. But it must
0: have elevated your brand. Deserve. Oh,
1: hugely. Absolutely transformational. That, like, that Jameson, this iconic brand is willing to work with somebody really small and take a chance. And uh, and that was down to Peter. He, he took that chance. And it's just... It took years, really, for me to take notice of that, of what a chance he had taken on us. But I'll always be in his debt for it.
0: (laughs) It's a phenomenal story. And do you think it helped in terms of that acquisition by Molson? then two years later, did you think? Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. Because they were saying, right, if they can work with these guys who are a
0: global company, then they'll be able to work with us. So the moral of the story is to look after people when they come into your pub, I'd imagine, or whatever your business is, because you never know what the... so we tried
1: to help out as many of the breweries as possible um, on the startup side of things, because obviously, look, like, it's gone from like eleven in the nineties, three survived, to sixty-five now in the country, and, wow. and, and probably more. But when people do come to us, the first thing I say is, don't get into this because there's no money in it, right? Unless you've got you've got loads of money to go and scale straight mm-hmm. away, or you've got an estate of pubs, like that's the only way really it, it, it makes sense. Uh, but if you are going to do it and you are pressing ahead, remember, like the guys from Dick Max came to us, brilliant bar in, in Dingle. Um, lovely, like third or fourth generation family in it, and I spoke to to Finn's dad, I pulled him aside, and it, like Finn was up and down, looking. I really want to do this, and I said, tell him to not to do it. You know, he's got enough on his plate. It's a really busy bar. Um, he said, will you take a look at the business plan anyway? So I looked at the business plan, and then I went straight away. I'll help you out because it wasn't about the beer. His daytime trade was literally dying. The old guys were dying out. It wasn't the younger people weren't going into the pub during the day. And he, he wanted to create this kind of tourist vibe that mm. people come in and do tours. And it's really successful, even through the whole lockdown, they adapted and they did growlers and the local super value took it in um, and was selling more than some of their, the, more than the busiest pub that they had. Um, so it really worked out for them. It's great. There's plenty it hasn't uh, worked out for us. So, yeah, we said, and it goes back to, don't be afraid of asking the question because if we didn't ask the question w- with the guys in IDL, what's the worst could have happened? Yeah. They didn't give it to us and and, and that was it. You know? But what did happen was it completely transformed our
0: company. So do you have a good relationship with all the other small craft brewers in, in the likes of Cork and, and further? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, quite a lot of them have,
1: have poured their first commercial drink in our festivals. So we run different festivals throughout the year, pre-COVID times. And one of them is the, the Easter Fest where it's just Irish breweries. Yeah off the top of my head um, trouble brewing company would have had its first pint poured their tick max um, rising Suns would yeah. have all poured their first drink and which i'm hugely proud of that you know that they keep coming back to us and that's a good community
0: and do you think that Molson were one of the first to kind of identify that this is something that's getting big here i know some of the other bigger brands are starting to do the same they're starting to buy up some craft brewers
1: yeah i th- i think that's gone now i don't i don't think it'll happen uh, it might happen in in you know, isolated. Yeah, uh, but I, I, I don't. I don't. I think that acquisition trail is gone now.
0: Because think, obviously, Jameson par- uh, took over eight degrees, which maybe that was on the back of your partnership as well.
1: Well, they they needed the they needed the beer to to funnel the the castmates, which was, like castmates went from nothing to three hundred thousand cases. Whoa! So it it, it had to be, I and mean, we we couldn't keep up with that because we were doing our own stuff.
0: Yeah. So it was a very innovative product. Sort of, it was kind of something brand new to the market. It, certainly, the
1: Castmates side of things was. Yeah. I mean, there's
0: there's lots of copycats
1: now, and so even some of the aerosolers are are yeah. going off at the back of that. But certainly, castmates has the volume.
0: It's a lovely legacy thing as well, and you know we're talking about a number of those. But that that's something fantastic to to kind of just from a chance kind of question yeah. that this evolved.
1: Well, it's just that they, they were so open and, and willing to try it with us. And they're, they're just, they're, they're normal people. They're they're really, really great to
0: get on with on a night out, as well as business. You said you're going into Italy. That's going to be a totally different culture, surely. Are, 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 are they IPA drinkers in general there? Yeah, there's,
1: there's a good craft beer scene in, in Italy. Um, I'm looking forward to going over there. Like people, I remember people saying to me, oh, you get the expat community in the UK. We have four Irish customers in the UK. So it's not Irish people, by and large, that are drinking Chieftain over there. It's the the English people have embraced it or the multicultural society over there has embraced it. Um, We only had two Irish customers up until fairly recently. In fact, the other two only came about on this new, uh, once lockdown finished in the UK. That's what I like about it. It's not pigeonholed into this is an Irish brand. It's pigeonholed into this is a premium brand.
0: When you get a chance to go to Italy or you go to one of the other countries, What's your role is it like sales or is it like a brand ambassador or
1: it's a bit of everything yeah um, so I would I would help the help the teams in in getting that message across of where it all began and where it's going and trials and tribulations along the way and it's a bit easier for me talking to 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 people in that respect because I, I'm a bar owner yeah so you get it at their level you understand what pain they've been through especially now in the last year and a
0: half. Um, so it's, it's probably easier for me to go in with a sales guy than a sales guy on his own. And do you think it's ultimately down to, if you can get the product in, some, in front of somebody, get them to taste it, that you kind of succeed?
1: Yeah. Again, not being cocky, but yeah. fully believe that it's a premium product. So when you go in and if you can get somebody to taste it, you're, you're 10
0: steps ahead. That's probably the hardest thing of all. So it's probably to get the initial taste. 100% and would you bring them to venues where they're already on tap or ho- we've we've done lots of different
1: things uh, the UK team have, have flown people over they tend to be multi venue owners yeah. um, to make it to make it worthwhile that you're taking them over to cork for a few days i'm really proud when they do take them over because i've been to plenty of places over the years that you'd be taken away on trips you're not going to stick with that person for the whole day and you go out on your own and you say it's not here you know i don't see it in i don't see it in the, in the venues that i go to Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought long and hard about that and thought, own your own town first. Not own it. Own is probably the wrong word, but just try to, to get into as many outlets as possible in your, in your hometown. Because if people are coming over, influential distributors or wholesalers or whatever, and if they don't see it there, they're going to say, well, if he couldn't make it in his own market, he's not going to make it in, any, in our market. Yeah. Um, so that's why we spent a lot of time on, on solidifying Cork.
0: So you fly them in here and you give them a kind of a taste of it? Yeah,
1: so they'd go to take them to the, the old brewery first. So yeah. this is where we came from and then the, the guys would take them down to the new brewery and say, and this is now where it's at. Gone from, from tiny to, to huge. So and and in other cases if I was going to you know, especially no, know, you're not going to get people to travel. So I would go and I'd say the sales team would say right, these are the list of prospective people. And I'd say, right, well We'll bring him to a similar type of outlet, and say, right, if it's um, a dive bar, let's say, and you say, right, there's a dive bar on the other side of London. We'll take him there, selling five or six kegs a week. You know, I know that if I walk out the door and they stay there for a drink, they're not going to hear anything different from the owner than they are from me. Yeah. Um, So it makes it easier, especially in London, because we're in so many places that you can say, right, we can we can take you to something similar.
0: Is Cork really at the core of the, of the promotion of the brand as well? So like it's always on. I know there's the picture on the glass and it's on the cans and it's like it seems to be very much a focus of promoting the brand. Is that something that that you've kind of pushed very much? So because I'm proud of being from Cork, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And potentially, or is it already? Would Chieftain be one of the top Cork beer brands in the UK? Oh yeah, like oh yeah. yeah. I know yeah. obviously there was the two yeah. the Beamish and Murphy's for a long time were stronger down south but there's less promotion of them now
1: don't take this for gospel but from my experience of being in London on a, on a weekly basis yeah. you see a lot more Chiefs than you would have Brilliant. any other Cork brand
0: that, that must be like fantastic to see and put Cork on the map because am I right in saying you probably know more about this than I would that there was a time that Cork had loads of different breweries in the city
1: yeah, actually, I was just no. I I haven't got the book yet, but I was I was told there's a book on its way to me. There was a historian um, giving a talk in Callans, my favorite pub in, in the city. Yeah, and he had said you know, the quote I got was there was 350 microbreweries in in Ireland going back to whatever it was, many many hundreds of years ago or a hundred years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to getting my hands on that book to see how many was in court Was, was this the case?
0: Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know it's lovely because. Obviously, you know, from an Irish context, we're always knowing my drink. That can be a negative and it can be a positive as well. Guinness have made it a positive thing over the years. But it must be a great thing now that there's a new brand and in particular an IPA type brand with, with Chieftain that's really starting to make a name for itself across the UK.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant feeling.
0: I suppose to wrap things up, I have I've two questions for you, and I'm going to ask all of the guests uh, the same questions. The first question is, if you were to give another business uh, one tip um, in terms of building the brand from scratch like you did, um, what would it be?
1: Surround yourself with experts, definitely. I've got an amazing team r- r- around me and that's, I'm successful only because of them. So, yeah, surround yourself with people who know what they're doing.
0: With a different knowledge base to yourself?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Look at my weaknesses and, and still to this day would be my weaknesses would be advertising, marketing. And I've worked with some amazing people over the years on that. Um, but when what's Core course with, with Irish distillers within my own organisation, you know, encourage them to, to be themselves and, and, and bring out their expertise. Is that what you did at the beginning as well, in terms of you weren't a brewer yourself at the start? Yeah, were you? No, no, no. It was many years before I got into it because, uh, and it was out of necessity. Our main guy had, had retired, and we got just, after that, it just got really busy. Um, so I had to give a hand, and then yeah. But I definitely, if I was, it was if I was having it all over again, and I was saying, right, this is, let's say, for argument's sake, a brewery that we were going to start again. Would make sure that my um, marketing team was in place, make sure that you've got your log- logistics sorted out, whether that's third party or your own. Um, that your tech services is 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 in line. We were doing all of this as we went, um, so it didn't look like, and it wasn't a professional outfit for quite some time I don't regret any of that we learnt an awful lot and we also didn't know what we were getting into but definitely if I was going into some other business I would take a step back and say right what are are the pitfalls here what's needed get the right team in place and then you can go 10 steps ahead um, rather than limping along
0: and is that the advice you've been given some of the smaller brewers, when they've they've approached you this is how you do it yeah absolutely and have you seen them kind of I suppose grow quicker than you did
1: uh, definitely. I mean, you take case in point, you look at Rising Suns, massive
0: success here in, in Cork
1: City, doing big volume. And in, in, in fact, I'd say he's turning down business, you know, because they, the, there's a certain capacity there that they have. Again, Dick Max and Dingle, phenomenal. Uh, Trouble Brewing Company in, in, in Dublin. They're ones that would stick out to me of, of people who are doing it right and keeping the quality, which is hugely important. Sometimes the quality slips when people are saying, all right, I have to push this out now because, you know, we're taking the extra business on. Whereas, the the likes of Dick Mac said, right, we're going to open X amount of accounts per month for the
0: next number of years and they stuck to that. Surround yourself with good people, that will help and that will grow your your business. The other question I have is there's a lot of probably students and graduates going to be listening to this show, mainly on the back of, I suppose, I lecture a good few of them. If you take yourself back to being that 17-year-old that, I suppose, left Ireland and and if you were to give an individual a piece of advice, so a young person, a piece of advice, what would you give them?
1: Explore the world. Yeah. See what's out there and, and don't ever compromise in, uh, especially in the world that we're living in now, there are choices out there. When I left, th- there was three jobs in the paper and two of them were, um, were were commission only jobs when I left and I got the bus and then the ferry and then the train on the other side when I when I was in England. And that's not that long ago, you know, when you, you yeah. put things into context. is that the early 90s? It was, yeah, yeah. Um, and I went to America at 19. Uh, just very naive, but just straight to experience as much as possible and say, don't pigeonhole yourself into, right, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life because society kind of dictates yeah. that this is what you should do. I spoke to a, an amazing woman yesterday that I hadn't spoken to in many, many years. She was a friend of a, a, one of my childhood friends. And uh, she she minds children. And she loves what she does and she doesn't have any regrets in her life yeah. because her life has been so fun. And I thought that's amazing. How many people can say that? How many yeah. people can get up in the morning and say, I'm really enthusiastic about going into work today. I haven't worked in years, in my opinion. Yeah. I get up in the morning and going in to do something I love. My dad hated his job. He was in it for you know, 40 years or whatever. and He hated every day of it. I can't, I, I can't even comprehend that because I've been so lucky that I've been involved in something that I don't class as, as, as work you kind of kept that exploring going
0: though, didn't you? Mm. Throughout that period of time, even when you discussed about going with, with the lads from Jameson, even talking about when you first started with Moles and you went over in the States. I'd imagine you've learned every time you've explored. I've, I've never,
1: never stopped learning. As the old adage there, the day you don't learn something is the day you, you die, you know? And I fully believe in that. Now, I was asking my kids, what did you learn today in school? Oh, nothing, nothing. So you definitely learned something, you know? Try to drag it out Or get some enthusiasm Into it But I, like I, Most of the business partners That I have They're much younger than me So And it's great being around People like that They have a totally different vision yeah. um, And I'm old And I look at things Totally different And quite happy Going into a quiet pub Like Callan's and, and talking to Rob Behind the bar that, That's my idea of, of heaven That's heaven for you Yeah so, And you're yeah. probably
0: looking For similar type of bars When you go to London Or you go to, when yeah. you go to Italy Or wherever yeah, it will yeah. be. What does the future hold For
1: Franwell uh, hopefully many more countries and a lot more travelling for myself going into say, yeah, we're in Malaga City or we're in Rome or we're in Sicily and I hope that keeps going and I hope I'm still part of it. And will you hope um, to eventually get
0: back to going to the US?
1: Uh yeah, I don't I don't have as much ambition or drive for that as I did have. I saw that as the holy grail. Yeah. Because you know, when I was researching it, thirty million people at that time were in the census saying they had Irish ancestry. And when I looked at it there, I saw that, you know, some of these distributors that were interested, you were the kind of Paddy's Day beer. Okay. So you'd have been really busy for Paddy's Day. And then, you know, the month coming up to it or a little bit after it, maybe. Um, whereas the UK, it's spread out over the 12 months. There's there's a, a little, there's an uplift all right around Paddy's Day for a, not huge, but it's steady. And Italy signs are saying it's going to be the same as as that. It'll be steady. and um, So I'm I'm, again maybe
0: it's because I'm older I'm much more into that steady pace of life Focused on the kind of I suppose the premium end of a good quality beer that happens to be from Cork rather than an Irish beer that yeah. we don't really care what it tastes like that's kind of it seems to be what you've you've focused on over the years
1: Absolutely yeah well not even not just me when it was Molson Coors and it was, it was the team around me focused on that yeah just went around, along
0: for the ride Well look Shane it was fantastic to chat to you Um um, I'm excited about where where the beer goes in the future, um, and um, looking forward to maybe drinking chieftain somewhere across Europe in the next couple of years. It's, it's been brilliant, and it has been brilliant to have you as the first guest I as well.
1: Thank you very much, Stephen, for for inviting me. I was, I was quite humbled when you when you reached out. I said, why do why do you want to listen to me?
0: <laughs> A fascinating story. Uh, Thanks yeah, again. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the 24 Stories podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at 24 Stories Tribe. I'll be back next week with a brand new guest.